Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Brackish mop water splashed up onto Harvey Breyer's cheek and bottom lip from the floor of the ladies' room. He spat into the filthy bucket, wishing he had changed the water after mopping the entryway. At least he hadn't done the men's room yet. He always saved the men's room for last. Harvey had been cleaning the First United Christian Church every Thursday night for 12 years. He had never missed a single week. He didn't even take Thanksgiving off. Pastor Tamplin always told him to, but he never did. Tamplin would always tell Harvey to clean on Wednesday or Friday instead, but Harvey didn't much like change. He simply didn't want to upset his schedule. It's not like he had anywhere special to be on Thanksgiving anyway. His wife, Arlene, had passed ten years prior. Ever since, it had just been him and a turkey sandwich on the third Thursday of each November. Thursdays were generally the best cleaning days because they allowed Harvey to do his work totally alone and unbothered. There were no church events held on Thursday nights, and Pastor Tamplin usually went out to visit church members in the hospital, nursing home, or hospice. Harvey liked to have the church empty and quiet. No small talk, no questions, no time wasted on people pretending to be friendly so they could feel better about themselves. People who would never imagine themselves elbow-deep in a toilet, as Harvey was when he heard a sound come through the propped-open restroom door. He stopped scrubbing and allowed the water to settle so he could listen. The sloshing had been too noisy. His ears couldn't define the sound he had heard, only detect the disturbance in the silence it had ruined. Harvey slipped his rubber gloves off and leaned against the wall next to the door for a better listen. He didn't have to wait long. Three distinct taps resonated down the hallway. Harvey was certain they had come from the front door. The taps were unmistakably made by knuckles on glass. The entire face of the church was constructed out of thick glass, including the double doors. Harvey thanked himself for shutting off all the lights except in the restroom. Whoever was at the door shouldn't have been able to see the light from the women's room from there. Harvey decided to stay still and quiet until they left him alone. Three taps chimed again. As he waited, Harvey tried to think of anything he might have left out front that would give his presence away. He had walked to the church, as he always did. He had hung up his coat in the maintenance closet where all of his supplies were stored. He may have left the closet door open, but it was dark in the hallway, so the tapper out front shouldn't have been able to see that either. He decided whoever was at the front door was just being hopeful. After a stretch of time with no more tapping, Harvey risked a glance outside. He stepped into the hallway and peered around the corner to see the front door. He should have waited longer. 
If he had, he might still be alive. There, standing behind the glass under the fluorescent light outside, was a short, thin man wearing nothing but a t-shirt and boxers. The temperature outside was cold enough to form frost in the corners of each pane of glass, yet the man seemed unperturbed by the frigid air. Before Harvey could retract his head behind the corner, the man locked eyes with him and scowled. Harvey retreated back into the restroom knowing it was too late to hide. Maybe he needs help, he thought charitably. That scowl had set off alarm bells in his head. A smile or a wave might have convinced Harvey to check on the guy who had to be freezing out there, but that scowl gave him a different kind of chill. The man outside started tapping again. Now he did so continuously, however still in groups of three like a Civil War drummer boy. He'll go away, Harvey thought. He's got to. There's no way he can stand being out there in the cold too long. But when the tapping persisted five minutes later, Harvey questioned whether the man would leave on his own. He had a spray bottle full of diluted bleach on his cart. It was as close to a weapon as he had available, so he grabbed it and walked around the corner in full view of the man outside. When Harvey made his appearance, the man scowled again and kept tapping. Now he hit the glass with one finger, which he pointed directly at Harvey with each tap. All right, I won't have none of that, Harvey bellowed. He pointed his spray bottle at the man. He stopped tapping to raise his hands above his head as if the bottle were a gun and Harvey were a cop rather than a night janitor. The man's scowl curled into an off-putting smile. His thin arms remained perfectly still above his head. He wasn't shivering at all, despite the northern wind that rippled his thin t-shirt. What do you want? The church is closed, Harvey said. May I come in? The man asked. His voice didn't fit his look. It sounded too deep to have come from his skinny throat, too resonant to have been produced by his concave chest. No, sir, you may not, Harvey said definitively. Let me in, the man demanded. I'll say it again, the church is closed. The man's smile fell back into a scowl, and he dropped his hands to his sides where they balled into white-knuckle fists. I am cold and weary. I have no place to stay. I will die if you do not let me in. The man's voice was cool and threatening. Harvey waved him off. The man threw himself against the glass and shouted, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalms, Harvey spat back. Don't go quoting scripture at me, sir. These doors aren't opening until nine in the morning. There are shelters for people like you. Granted, you aren't strung out on drugs. And if you are, I don't want you any more than they do. His scowl deepened as the man backed away from the glass like a recoiling snake. Harvey felt nervous turning his back to him, but he did so to punctuate the end of their interaction. Behind him, he heard the man run into the glass again, but he didn't turn back. A different voice yelled, Please, sir, please, it won't let me go. I'm so cold, I'm gonna die, but it won't let me go. Harvey turned around, sure someone else must have been shouting, but saw the same man as before. Now he had his forehead plastered against the glass and was looking at Harvey with more hostility than ever. Saliva dripped between his teeth and hung from one corner of his seething mouth. The other voice had fit the man's appearance much better than the deep one. What is going on with you? Harvey demanded. 
Why do you have to bother me of all people? The man slapped his right hand against the glass and dragged it down. It squealed horrendously as he slid it down to the keyhole. He tapped the metal fixture three times and said, Because you can open this. I've told you I won't, Harvey said. He thought of turning back around but decided to stand his ground instead. You know, cops like to park here while they're writing their reports and whatnot, he lied. I don't think you'd want to be here if one of them decided to show up tonight. For a second, Harvey thought his fib had worked. The man stepped back and turned away from the glass. Harvey almost congratulated himself when he realized the man was bending over to pick up one of the decorative stones near the entrance. There's no way that skinny little guy can pick one of those up, he thought. They're the size of a small child and probably weigh three times as much. The man looked as if he had never lifted a weight in his life, and yet he hoisted one of the stones above his head in one fluid motion. Terror seized Harvey. That stone would absolutely decimate the glass. The man had just proved he was strong enough to smash his way through, and all Harvey had was the bottle of bleach to fend him off. Harvey took off down the hall opposite the one he had come from. If he'd gone back toward the restrooms, he would have reached a dead end. This hallway had classrooms and offices lining both sides, but more importantly, it housed the doors to the auditorium, which had two emergency exits. But before Harvey could get that far, he heard the explosive sound of 100 pounds of glass shattering in the foyer. He had to get out of the intruder's line of sight immediately. Harvey grabbed the first doorknob on his left and gave it a twist. Thankfully, the brass turned all the way over and the door gave way. He ducked inside and closed the door as quietly as he could and locked it. He slumped down to the floor with his back against the door while he caught his breath. He had gone into the nursery. His eyes had to adjust to the dark, but eventually he could make out toys and books stored neatly on shelves and in bins around the walls in the dim light from the curtained windows. To distract himself from panic, Harvey began to run through his options. The church had a robust security system, but unfortunately Harvey always disabled it when he came in to clean. It was just too easy to set the stupid thing off by accident. It didn't go off when the man had smashed the glass, and it wouldn't go off even if he tripped every motion sensor in the building. The system's module was right by the front door, so turning it back on was out of the question. Harvey patted both pockets to be sure but he already knew he had left his cell phone on his cart in the women's restroom. He never used the darn thing, and now here he was in dire need of it, only to have left it across the building. His best chance, he decided, was to get to the auditorium and escape through the emergency exit. With his breath under control, Harvey could listen for movement outside the door. He had expected the crazy man to go wild once he was inside, hollering and smashing everything in sight, but the still silence he heard was far more unsettling than the unhinged voice of the madman. Even more unsettling was the gamble the silence forced Harvey to make. Did silence mean the man had gone another direction? Or was he waiting patiently for Harvey to emerge from his hiding place? At 62 years old, Harvey didn't have the energy to run or the strength to fight, so he decided to wait until he heard some sort of sound to confirm the intruder's location. He was safe in the nursery, so he saw no reason to act rashly. He adjusted his position and settled in. A faint movement in the darkness somewhere in front of him caught his eye. He looked up and strained his vision to make out what it was, 
something small swayed ever so slightly from one of the toy bins. With a glance back at the door to confirm the lock had been turned, Harvey crawled forward for a better look. A little closer to the movement, Harvey could make out the floppy ears of a stuffed rabbit dangling from the top of the bin. They were moving as if someone had just walked past and brushed up against them. Harvey froze. Nothing should have caused the ears to move at all. The air conditioning wasn't even on. He watched the ears swing back and forth like pendulums, but instead of slowing down, the movements were getting faster and wider. Harvey swallowed hard as he started crawling backwards toward the door. The rabbit's head twisted in his direction. Its one remaining eye, which was made from a small black bead, stared at the janitor with an inexplicable but unmistakable expression of malice. Harvey stumbled back onto his haunches and tried to stand. An off-tune melody chimed from another toy bin. Then a toy fire truck with a seat big enough for a child to ride on rolled itself into the middle of the nursery floor and lit up with flashing red and blue lights. Its cartoonish siren blared on a loop. That seemed to set off all of the electronic toys. A dozen high-pitched melodies played around the room as lights of all colors blinked and flashed, creating an atmosphere of a clownish nightclub. Worst of all were the baby dolls, which lay piled together in their own bin cooing and crying, generating a cacophony of inhuman voices. Harvey decided he would rather take his chances with the madman than whatever witchcraft was at work in the nursery. He unlocked the door and snuck back into the hallway. The music and sounds continued even after he shut the nursery door. In a desperate sense, Harvey had hoped to see the intruder right away, even if it meant he had to fight or flee. He just wished he could know where the madman was. The man's total absence left Harvey with the open decision of where to go next and the possible consequences of making the wrong choice. He was about equidistant from the auditorium doors and the foyer. Since he hadn't been able to hear where the man went once he was inside, it was a coin toss. Harvey opted for the path of least resistance, or at least he thought he did. There were no doors, no potential obstacles between him and the foyer. Even if he encountered the intruder there, he had a fighting chance of getting around him and escaping out the front. He tried to walk as quietly as he could, but his footsteps may as well have been gunshots in the quiet hallway. They made him wonder how the intruder had been so very silent. He might have taken off his shoes if he didn't know he would have to step over shattered glass to escape. Harvey reached the foyer without an encounter. There, he saw the large stone sitting amongst thousands of pieces of glass ranging in size from a dinner plate to a grain of rice. The man had smashed a window rather than the doors, and the impact had apparently shattered multiple panes. The doors still stood in their frame, almost comically perfect and whole, while the rest of the glass had fallen away around them. With safety just ahead, Harvey began to move quicker. He didn't care so much if he was heard now. He checked over his shoulder, but in doing so, took one careless step. His foot landed on one of the larger pieces of glass, which sliced diagonally through his shoe and cut open the fleshy underside of his foot. Harvey let out an involuntary cry and fell to one knee, dropping his bottle of bleach. His palm landed on another shard and was sliced open from thumb to pinky. He pulled his hand away as his fingers became slick with blood. The cut went so deep, Harvey couldn't even move his thumb anymore. It immediately went numb. If he hadn't already, the intruder now knew Harvey's location beyond a doubt. <laughs> 
Harvey heard him laughing right behind him. He turned his head, expecting to catch a glimpse of his attacker just before the end, but there was no one there. The laughter had come from the speakers mounted in the corner of the foyer. They were there so people outside the auditorium could still hear the sermon. I bet he's in the sound booth, Harvey thought. He congratulated himself for not choosing to enter the auditorium. He tried to stand and take another step toward his escape, but could find nowhere to place his foot safely. He had thought his shoes would protect him, but they did him no good. And now, even if he did get outside, his injuries would prevent him from getting much further. Defeated, he retreated from the mess of glass and ran to find somewhere to hide. His hand was bleeding profusely. Although he couldn't see it, the dampness in his sock told him his foot was leaking quite a bit too. Harvey didn't do well with blood. The sight of it made him lightheaded. Seeing so much of it pouring from his own body made him want to faint, and he knew he would, too, if he lost too much more. There was a first aid kit in the maintenance closet. If he could lock himself in there, he could patch himself up and make a new plan. He hobbled toward the closet, leaving a trail of blood behind. He knew he wouldn't really be able to hide anymore, only shelter himself from what was seeming more and more like an inevitable conclusion. The maintenance closet automatically locked if Harvey didn't set it right, and apparently he hadn't that night. He found the door handle wouldn't turn when he grabbed it. Frustrated with himself, he fumbled around with the keys attached to his belt until he found the right one. Run, 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 the deep voice said through the foyer speakers. I already have you, Harvey. How does he know my name? Don't you want to see Arlene again? I can arrange a meeting. She's been screaming for you in hell. He knows about Arlene, too? Before he turned the lock, Harvey saw something he couldn't believe he hadn't thought of before. The fire alarm. It was just a few feet away. He pulled his key out of the lock and limped over to the little red box while the intruder continued to taunt him. She's calling out for you, even now. She wants to know why you abandoned her, Harvey. Why did you let her die? It was cancer. What could I do? Harvey couldn't help himself from shouting back. In truth, he had felt like he could have done more for Arlene, but how could this stranger have known that? He hadn't even told Pastor Tamplin about that particular guilt. He chastised himself for engaging as the intruder laughed loudly enough to distort the speakers. Harvey slammed the fire alarm handle down. An ear-splitting alarm rang out through the whole church, loud enough to cover up any more taunts from the speakers. Harvey limped back to the maintenance closet and got inside to await rescue. He felt guilty for bringing unarmed and unsuspecting firefighters into this, but he felt he had no other choice. Besides, he thought, don't police normally get to fires first anyway? The windowless maintenance closet was pitch black inside. Harvey wished he had considered this before closing and locking the door. The light switch was on the wall outside the closet. He would have to use muscle memory to find the first aid kit and bandage himself up. The only upside was that he couldn't see the gushing wounds anymore in the dark. He ran his good hand along the shelf, hoping to bump into the kit, but what his fingers found first was something round, bumpy, and metallic. He let his fingers brush over the object and found it had a smooth, plastic handle. Harvey paused. He slowly wrapped his fingers around the handle and felt the round part with his thumb. The object was definitely a microphone. 
I don't keep any microphones in. Harvey didn't even finish the thought before a sinking realization hit him. When Pastor Tamplin delivered his sermons, which were piped through to the foyer, he wasn't in the sound booth. He was on stage with a wireless microphone. Harvey dropped the mic on the floor and stumbled backwards. A terrible laugh bubbled up in the darkness in front of him. Oh, Harvey, the man laughed. Please, leave me alone. I've never done anything to you. You should have let me in, the man continued. Please, stop. Take whatever you want, but please don't... I can smell your blood. With that shout came the clattering of cans and bottles knocked on the floor. Harvey saw two white eyes flash before him as powerful hands gripped his shoulders and lifted him off his feet. His head smashed into the ceiling eight feet in the air, and the darkness all around him entered Harvey's mind. He knew no more. Six minutes later, the first police car pulled into the parking lot at First United Christian. The officer immediately called for backup and warned the fire department to stay back until the scene had been cleared. She had seen the shattered glass, but saw no fire and smelled no smoke. Her sergeant arrived moments later, and the two officers entered the church. Their boots fared better than Harvey's shoes on the glass, but they were still careful where they put their feet. The fire alarm continued to blare from every direction. It wasn't just obnoxious, it was disorienting. Dispatch, can you kill the alarm? The sergeant requested. A moment later, the two officers were in perfect silence. Police! the first officer announced. Come out with your hands up. Hey, does that look like what I think it is? The sergeant asked. He pointed his gun with its light at a trail of maroon drips and small puddles on the floor. They led to a door down the hall. Dispatch, get EMS on the way, the first officer said into her radio. When they reached the maintenance closet, the officers found it locked. The blood is probable cause. Let's break it in, said the sergeant. He stood guard while the first officer retrieved her battering ram. She broke off the handle and let the door swing outward. They both raised their guns. Oh, jeez, the sergeant gasped. Dispatch, alert fire and EMS. We have two bodies on site, checking vitals. The first officer stepped into the blood-washed maintenance closet. She stepped over the janitor who was obviously gone. He was soaked in blood from a yawning crack in the top of his head. The second man appeared to be passed out, but had no visible injuries. However, when she checked for vitals, she found none. What do you make of this, Sarge? She asked over her shoulder. She didn't receive a response. Sarge? She asked again. She stepped into the hallway, but didn't see him there either. His car was still parked outside with its lights flashing, but the sergeant was nowhere to be found. He still has yet to make another appearance. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening.
every five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.